0: Yeah, so if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we've been in a series called God at Work. Um, at the beginning of the series, we looked at God creating all things, including the world, including man, and giving man work to do and calling that work good. Um, the work that man had was to, um, was bringing God glory. But we know very quickly into the story of scripture that, um, man rebels against God and sin enters the world and work now becomes fractured. And work is there's thorns and thistles and there's toil and pain and stress and frustration and idolatry and irritation. I'm sure all of you have felt a spectrum of those things at work. Um, but we know that God is not done writing the story, that God is still honored and glorified through our work. Um, and the ways that we, we saw that done through this series was we, um, that God is glorified in the way that we work hard at, at our work, in the way that we share and show Christ in our workplaces or at home. And then last week, um, Pastor Mark took us through a um, kind of a look at at having the, the right priorities or how to properly um, put our family and our faith above our work, but that our work is a means by which we provide for our family. And we do that and steward those things well. So this morning um, is our last Sunday in the God at work series. We're gonna be looking at something a little bit different. We're gonna see how our work, how our jobs, how our very lives can actually have an impact on finishing the great commission. And as we, so we look, look into this, we'll be in Romans 10 this morning. Um, In a few other passages as well, but before we jump into the text, I want to share a quick story with you. So, in the 1700s, there was a man named Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. We'll just call him Zinzendorf, and yeah, it's a it's a really ridiculous and awesome name. Um, But his he was actually known as Count Zinzendorf because he was almost like a prince. He was an heir to this massive estate in Germany. Um, and his family from generation to generation just they passed down this massive estate and so he was a child of privilege and pleasure He could have whatever he wanted whenever he wanted it um, His family were they, they were cultural Christians. He grew up in a Christian home and he he knew the Bible But it wasn't something that he like truly lived for And there's a, a picture that's going to be up on the screen or a painting when um, Zinzendorf was 20 Um, he was wandering through this art museum and he came across this, this painting by Dominic Fetti, Dominico Fetti, and it's called behold the man. And as you can see, it's this picture of, or this painting of this bloodied and beaten Jesus right before moments before his crucifixion. And like most of us, we would be caught by this image of, of Christ, but it wasn't just the image that caught Zinzendorf's attention. It was the inscription at the bottom of the image. That it says, all this I have done for you. What have you done for me? And so in this moment, Zinzendorf is completely gripped by the Holy Spirit as he's meditating on these words. And he's gripped by something that kind of caught me off guard. He's gripped by the lostness of man and the urgency of the gospel. He's thinking there are people around the world who do not know the man in that painting and they will, be, they will be born, they will live, and they will die without knowing Christ. And so he gave, he ended up giving his life to God's mission and his glory. He ended up leveraging his entire family's estate to start a missions training ground where he would promote one of the largest missions movements of all history. And this missions movement was preceded by a massive prayer movement that brothers and sisters gathering together and praying for hours and hours and days and days, and they would take shifts praying for God to move. So they were praying urgently and expectantly that God was, was truly going to do something big. And so after Zinzendorf leveraged this estate for this, to send down missionaries across the globe, um, this missions movement was wildly successful. And the evidence of this movement is even in Georgia and North Carolina and Virginia, where church plants were, are still there today that were founded by this group called the Moravians. So the Moravians, they spread across the globe. And I think there's two reasons why the Moravians were so spiritually successful. I think the first reason is that they were completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They were completely dependent and, and just leaning into the Holy Spirit through prayer. We saw that this just a second ago. But I I think another reason that kind of caught me off guard again was that there was, there's two sets of Moravians. One were the vocational missionaries that were going, they're spreading across the world, going into lost places. But the other sect were business or men and women who ran businesses or worked normal jobs. And they would go into these difficult places and they would start trading companies with uh, among the lost, among these people who had never heard of Christ and the reason that they were so successful was because they would go into these places where missionaries were not allowed to go. See their trading companies that they set up enabled them to get into these difficult places where missionaries were not allowed. And one, one quote that defined this moravian movement so well that was um that Jensendorf said um early on was that his ambition was to preach Christ die and be forgotten. And, and that's what the beautiful thing is about this movement is that the Moravians, we don't, we don't know them by name. We don't know these, these people who started these trading companies, but they, they made their lives about the gospel, making the glory of Christ known in every corner of the earth. And this concept of doing business's mission or taking your job and the gifts that god's given you and doing it for the glory and the mission of god it is so pivotal now in the 21st century more than ever because the reality is that there's 7.5 billion people on planet earth today and almost half of them have never heard of christ 3.1 billion people have zero access to the gospel you and I have never experienced that kind of lostness before. There's 3.1 billion people who are considered unreached by the gospel, meaning that they, they will spend eternity apart from God and never even hearing an opportunity about what, how to get to heaven. And the reason that there's 3.1 billion unreached peoples in the world today is because they are hard to reach despite the fact that we have travel and technology that have been booming since the 1700s, but they're still hard to reach. There's many barriers. One of them being that you can't get into the majority of the unreached world on a missionary visa. You can't go there as a vocational missionary or pastor to tell them about Christ. But Jesus has a promise in Matthew 24 that says in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. See, I believe that like the Moravians, that there's one thing that God has uniquely gifted each person in this room for, that he's given you skills, that he's given you a passion and a desire for. And he's actually going to use your giftings, your talents, your skills for his glory among the nations. I believe that your job can have an impact on finishing the Great Commission. And the question that I've wrestled with as I've, as I've thought about our, our work is that if, God, if the story of the Bible is about God's plan of rescuing and redeeming people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, shouldn't God's plan be a big factor in where and how we spend the majority of our time each and every week? Shouldn't it be a big factor in where and how we work? I want us as a church this morning to consider the vocation and the giftings that God has given each of us, and how we can leverage those for His glory and for His mission. So, um, turn with me to Romans ten. We're starting in verse thirteen. It says, "And everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved." And how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. On the screen here, you're going to see a, a process that maybe... There we go. So this is uh, Romans 10:13 through 17 just flipped upside down. And what I want us to see here is kind of the process from which how someone is is saved or a people is saved. So we see that Jesus sends his followers, those followers preach, the people hear, the hearers believe, the believers call, and then those who are called will be saved. And we know that this promise is true that people will be saved. Matthew 24 told us that, that from all the nations will hear and then the end will come. Revelation says it all through it, that there will be multitudes of people from every tribe, tongue and nation who will hear They'll be standing before the throne of God, worshiping him. And so if, if that's the reality that when someone preaches, they will hear, they will believe they will call and they will be saved. But what happens? Where, where do you guys think the breakdown is in this? like, This should have happened 2000 years ago when Jesus gave the command to go. Because the reality is is that if people aren't sent, they will not preach. The people will not hear. The people will not believe. And therefore they won't call and they won't be saved. So they must hear. Martin Luther has a quote that says, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times. If no one ever heard about him. So they must hear and therefore someone must preach. And the only way for someone to preach is if they, they are sent. But the question this morning is, is who is, who is they? Who is the they in Romans 10? And I believe the they, what we see throughout the Bible is, is every man, woman, and child who has put their faith and trust in Christ. Jesus doesn't give us many exceptions to the rules here when it comes to being sent out for his namesake, for following Christ. So the question is not whether you are sent, but where and how. So three ways that I believe that we are sent out as a, as a church and, as, and through our jobs and through our work is first, we are sent out obediently. In Matthew four, Jesus, as he's calling his disciples for the first time, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And when Jesus is making this call, when he's asking these, these men to follow him, he doesn't say, follow me. And if you want to, you can also make fishers of men. No, Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. You can't accept Jesus without accepting this call to be on mission with and for him. And the, the Great Commission, what I want us to understand, because I, I know that there's, there's many misconceptions about the Great Commission, that the Great Commission is not a call for some varsity, extroverted Christians. It is a call for all to, to embody this and, and to, to really commit to this. See, the Great Commission is for all those who have been born again and trusted in Christ. And... The Lord wants to show us that he has gifted you with gifts and talents and resources and desires and passions to be used to leverage those for the great commission, for his glory among the nations. And we see that so beautifully in the book of Acts. In Acts 1, you don't have to turn with me. I think it'll be on the screen here. Um, Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is right before Jesus is ascending to heaven. And a little bit before this, Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is right after Jesus rose from the dead. Like this had to have kind of made these guys really passionate about what Jesus was saying. Like Jesus just gave this command to go. And then Jesus says, you will actually be given power through the Holy spirit that will come upon you. Like if I were them, I would be pretty fired up and ready to go. But the reality is, is that the first seven chapters of acts, no one leaves Jerusalem with the gospel, like seven chapters in acts in in one of the most like riveting books, in the New Testament, you see no one leave Jerusalem, the place where they, where they first were when Jesus ascended. No one leaves Jerusalem with the gospel for seven chapters. But then we get to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. You see this at the end of chapter 7. You see, this brother in the church, Stephen, Stephen is a lay person in the church. He's not a professional Christian. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary. He is a normal guy that loves the Lord, that loves Christ and is willing to lay his life down because he is so passionate about the things of Christ. And so Stephen is stoned. Stephen is martyred at the end of chapter seven. But in chapter eight, verse one, there arose on that day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And get this, except the apostles, except the people who you expected to go, except for the people who were with Jesus, who experienced everything about him, who were, who were like the professional Christians, pastors, like these are the dudes who you would expect to go to be scattered to the nations. So that call that Jesus gave saying that you will receive power, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The people who are going, who are scattering, are not the people who we expected. These are, these are people like Philip, who Philip brought the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. You, you have guys like Apollos, who brought the gospel to the Ephesians. And these are, these, are not, these are not the guys that you would expect. These are men and women who see their jobs and see their lives as making Christ known. Dr. Stephen Neal, who's a professor and also an author of a book called The History of Christian Mission, he says in the book, he says in this book, at the end of the first century, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome were the primary Christian centers. The most remarkable thing about those centers is that they have no idea who brought the movement to them or who planted the first churches. Like, you guys have all heard of Rome and Antioch. Like, Antioch was the mission sending hub of the first century. And we have no idea who planted the first church there or who planted the church in Rome or Alexandria. Like, these church planters in the first century were hard working men and women who had a desire to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. At the end of a movie, you see the, the, um, all the credits at the end. Well, these are like bystander one, two, and three at the end of the, at the last page of the credits who nobody pays attention to. These are the people who are bringing the gospel to Antioch, Rome, Alexandria, and to the end of the earth. These brothers and sisters in Acts, they were sent out obediently. But they were also sent out strategically, Because these brothers and sisters, they recognized that they had gifts, they had skills, they had talents that God could use for his namesake among the nations. And so, in the same way Paul, in Acts chapter 18, Paul connected with this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were tent makers. And Paul was also of the same trade, he was also a tent maker by trade, that's how they made money. So when Paul goes and meets up with Priscilla and Aquila, he becomes... He joins them in tent making to make money and to add to his legitimacy in the community that he's working, that he's ministering in. So Paul's working, but Paul's ambition is to preach Christ where Christ had not yet been named. Paul's ambition was not to make tents. Paul's ambition was to make disciples that make disciples, but tent making was the means by which he was, he was doing that. So what Paul is showing us is that, that we must first be passionate about the mission and the glory of God before we are passionate about our work. We should see our work as, as, a, as a means by which God can use for his glory among all nations, whether that's here or over there. There's going to be a, a map up on the screen here. And inside this rectangle are this, th- those two lines. It's called the 1040 window where the most concentrated group of unreached people groups are some of the hardest, the hardest region in the world to reach some of the most closed countries in the world to the gospel. So 10 degrees South and 40 degrees North. That's a, the 1040 window. Maybe you've heard of that before. So in that region, there are 40,000 U S missionaries working in there right now in that region, 40,000. In, in that same region, there's also 2 million Americans that are working normal jobs in that region. 2 million Americans. Let's just say that out of those 2 million Americans, that 10% of them, that, that's a pretty conservative number considering how many believers are in the U.S. today, but let's say 10% of them are born-again evangelical followers of Christ. And let's say that those 10% saw their jobs as a way to be sent for the glory and the mission of God. That would mean that there would now be 240,000 followers of Christ giving their lives and their jobs for the spread of the gospel in one of the hardest regions in the, in the world. One of the regions that is hardest to reach and, and they're already there. They've implanted their lives there. They've earned the respect and the trust of the people there because they're doing good work, working good jobs that would mean that if we went from 40,000 people who are who are sharing and showing Christ in their work to four, to 240,000 that would be a 500% growth in Christ followers actively intentionally sharing their faith with unreached peoples without the church spending another dime like that should that should really grip us the fact that we're always talking about this church spending this kind of money here, that kind of money there. We could have a 500% growth in church planters and in, in, in missionaries if we recognize that our jobs can be leveraged for that purpose, for a global purpose, for God's glory. I think a, a quote that really encapsulates this idea is from J.D. Greer. And he says, Whatever you are good at, do it for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. You will never know your unique place in the mission until you understand how God has uniquely shaped you in light of this mission. How, how, he, how has he uniquely gifted you? What job or skills or giftings has he given you? And, and think about that in light of this bigger picture here. I know we have some folks in here who have done CrossFit. Do we have any CrossFitters in here? Maybe you've done it a thousand times. Maybe you've done it five times. Um, anyway, my, one of my best friends in college, his name is Brody, and he ended up becoming a certified CrossFit trainer. But Brody was also passionate about reaching unreached peoples with the gospel. And Brody, specifically in the Middle East. And Brody began to hear that that specifically in the country of Saudi Arabia, which is one of the most closed countries to Christianity, <clears throat> that that Saudis were becoming pretty passionate about exercise and working out and gyms were starting, and this was 10 years ago, 10 years ago that gyms were starting to be built up in Saudi. Where Brody had the idea, well, I, I loved CrossFit and I'm passionate about it. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Like God's gifted me in this way. So Brody took his wife and children and the giftings that God had given him and moved to Saudi and started one of the first CrossFit gyms in Saudi Arabia. And then he started several more after that. And Brody's life was widely accepted by Saudis because he was bringing them something that they, that they were longing for, that they were wanting, that they desired. So Brody had every opportunity in the world to share and show Christ in, as he was working out with these Saudi men and women See Brody was sent out obediently and he was sent out strategically for the glory and mission of God. So we are sent out obediently. We are sent out strategically, but we are also sent out respectably. It doesn't matter if, if you, if you're passionate about the glory and mission of God, if you do it in a way that's, that's disrespectful to the gospel or the people, if you do it in a way that's, that's just like not helpful in Proverbs 22:29, it says, "Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings." And I read an article about a month ago about a, a, a man named Mike. Mike was the head of neurology at one of the most well-known universities in the U.S. And Mike is often um, invited to these remote places in Central Asia to give these lectures to, to medical students. And you can imagine that in the middle of central Asia that these medical students in these med- in this medical hall or in this lecture hall, they are, it's, they're Muslim medical students. Like this area is closed to Christianity. But the reality is that Mike is the man. Mike is the boss when it comes to neurology and when it comes to, he, he knows everything there is to know. And so that's why they've invited Mike into this place. And so they're, they're a captive audience waiting to hear whatever comes out of Mike's mouth. So Mike goes there several times. He's been there several times, goes there pretty frequently. And every time he goes, he has an open door to share his testimony, to share about how God saved him through Christ and to share how the gospel has changed his view of medicine. So Mike got really good at his job. He became the best in his field. And through him becoming so good at his job, he, his, the goodness of his work brings glory to God. And so, church, let's get good at our jobs so that, so that it's, it'll be infinite possibilities for what God can do with you and for you through his, for his mission and for his glory. <clears throat> My friend, Jake, was saved in college and quickly felt a call to missions. But the tragedy was, as Jake would go overseas, he would recognize that there'd be missionaries who were getting kicked out of countries or having to leave the missions field because they had no reason to be there other than to bless their neighbor and to share Christ. And in many places, even though that's 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 a beautiful picture, It's not welcomed in in the majority of, especially that 1040 window. So after arriving, these missionaries, they were forced to often find a platform or find a reason to be within country. And oftentimes that platform was hardly sufficient to support them long-term or to sustain life there. They would often get burned out. And so Jake, Jake made it his ambition that he would go slow in order to stay long. And and what I mean by that is that Jake, after graduating college, Jake spent the next nine years working up the corporate ladder here in America. He actually became the top sales manager year after year for Walmart nationally here in, in America, several years in a row. This past year, Jake was offered, he had multiple offers from massive companies around the world. And many of those companies were in the 1040 window. Now Jake is the sales director for one of the largest consumer goods companies in one of the most closed regions in the world. Jake got really good at, at sales. And because of that, he's working for a highly legitimate company. And I think that he will be there for a while. So whether you are in college or you're just about to go into college or you're in a good stride at work or you're thinking about retiring or you're already retired. I think the question that this begs of us is does the glory in the mission of God, does it, is it a factor in how you think about how you spend your time or where you work, where and how you work? The response I I have to this text is, We are we are either called to stay or we are called to go. We are, but we are all sent. We should all live sent, whether it's in here in Parker or somewhere else in Colorado to Aurora to your workplace to the ends of the earth. But we are all sent. So whether we stay or whether we go, we should all be about the glory and the mission of God. So the three ways to respond is first pray, like church. Let's pray urgently. Let's pray because there are people who will be born, live, and die across the globe who do not know Christ. Let's pray urgently that that the one who can save these people, that he is is our father who's in heaven and he desires to hear our prayers. Like, let's be a, a people that's praying urgently for those people to know Christ. And let's pray expectantly that God will answer our prayers, that God will save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And if God is calling you to stay, another way that we can be a part of his glory and mission is by giving, giving generously, giving sacrificially. Most of us in here, we have good jobs that we can give that can advance the kingdom of God among the nations. And lastly, pray about going, whether that's overseas or living in a way that, that looks like you're sent here among your neighbors, I know many of many of us have coworkers that are not from America. I know many of us have neighbors that are not from here. They may be coming from places that are unreached, that do not have access to the gospel. So think creatively. Think creatively. I know there's families in this church that have engaged their neighbors in really unique ways. But I think some ways that come to my mind is we can when we travel, we can travel among the unreached. You can study among the unreached. You can work among the unreached. You can retire among the unreached. You don't have to pull my arm too hard to get me to move to the Maldives for retirement. Like that place is amazing. And it's flooded with unreached peoples. So if, if, I, wish, I wish there was more time because there's so many opportunities out there for ways that you can leverage your work for the glory of God. Um, And if you want to hear more about that, I'd love to chat with you after. Um, But yeah, let me pray for us as as we close. Father, I praise you for your word. I thank you for not just saving us, but for calling us to a greater and more abundant joy by joining you in your mission. Lord, may we hunger and thirst for for every tribe tongue and nation to know you and to love you and to worship you God. Lord, may we be a people that that pray urgently and expectantly. May we be a people may may there be brothers and sisters here right now today that that are wrestling with this idea that would that would go and be ambassadors for Christ in a place where Christ is not known. Lord, I pray that you would leverage our resources and our skills and our giftings for your namesake. Lord, may Christ be honored and glorified in all that we do and say and think. We love you and pray this in his name. Amen.